0: Chapter 17, John chapter 17, we're going to continue on with this prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ to His Father, His interceding, and we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to jump over to Romans 8 at some point, Lord willing, Uh, we're going to look at those things. We left off in verse 4, and I'd like to pick there up, up again there at verse 4. So John chapter 17 and verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now remembering that that work that God gave Jesus to do, he says, I have finished it. This is before the cross. This is even before the garden. This is before the empty tomb and the resurrection. So what work did God give Jesus to do? To manifest the name of God. To show the invisible God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where we pose that question. The question isn't, is Jesus God? The question is, is God Jesus? Well, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2.9. And so, these things are precious to us. Understanding that the work that Jesus Christ came to do was to show us God the Father. He told his disciples you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to find God, it must be by Jesus Christ. Not only through him, but by him. You look at Jesus and you see eternal God. And you look at him in this book, right here. It's where you find him. And so, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self or with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Understanding this, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word, that eternal word, is Jesus Christ. Before the world was, the glory that he had, before it was veiled in flesh, And that same glory is that glory that resides inside every single born-again believer. It's that glory which shall be revealed in us. That glory that shone brighter than the countenance of the sun. That is that glory. And he's praying that, and as we'll see as we continue on in this, maybe not even further on today, but we're going to see that that glory is what Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see him in his glory. Looking at that again. Oh, and now, O oh Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. The manifestation of the name of God in the person of Jesus Christ makes it so that you can know God. How many in here know the name of Vladimir Putin? You know who Vladimir Putin is? Okay, let's, let's bring, it, bring it in a little bit closer. Do you know Joe Biden? We know that name. But do you know who Joe Biden is? Let's bring it a little closer. Martin Causer. Many of you know the name Martin Causer. He's our representative. Anybody know him in here? I do. Met him before. Know him. Okay? You see the difference? It's, it's not enough to just know of somebody... Did the Jews know the name of God? Did they know the names of God? But did they know him? Not all of them. And there were many that knew him in lips, but their hearts were far from him. The Lord willing, we're going to look at that in a second here too. But just consider this. If you want to know God, you have to know his name. And in his very name is everything you need to know about God. He is God. Jesus said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. God had told him, Jesus Christ himself, that eternal word, had told Moses, tell them, I am hath sent thee. I am. And honestly, that's all you need to know about God. For if any man come to God, he must first believe that he is and that is a rewarder of them that, which diligently seek Him. And so understanding the name of God through the person of Jesus Christ, it'll show you who God is. Now, honestly, th- this is this is, we're skimming across the surface here. We're hitting some high points in these last few verses. Why? Because this is stuff that as you grab hold of this. And you take it and you file it away. And when you are reading through the word of God, and by the way, it's more than just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that you find Jesus Christ. You find him in the volume of the book. And so as you go through this entire book, understanding, listen, when I see Jesus, I see God. Every single place you see him, he's God. He did not cease to, become, to be God when he was made flesh. Why? Because his flesh was made out of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's keep going here now. Oh, let's see. Let's look at verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Now I do want to turn back to Deuteronomy 18. We, we've looked at this before. But this is a perfect time, again, to look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And again, if you don't think that Deuteronomy is important or that it's too hard, I just want to remind you that when Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness, the only book of this entire Bible he quoted was Deuteronomy. And that was enough for Satan to leave him. It would do us well to get into Deuteronomy. By the way, Jesus quoted the law and Satan fled. Why is that? We say, well, not under the law anymore, so it's no good to us. Are you sure about that? You see the character of God in the law. You see the heart of God in the law. You see what God hates and what God loves in the law. And he says, I am God. I change not. So consider all that. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. Uh, You know what? Let's start at verse 15 to get the whole context of it. It says this The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And so God says, I'm going to raise up a prophet from the midst of you. And this is not any ordinary prophet, there are many prophets that were raised up from the midst of Israel. The very nature and character of the prophet's word was that they came out of seemingly obscure times, obscurity, out of the middle of nowhere. There are some that were told where they came from, some were really not. All we know is there was this prophet and he prophesied the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came unto that prophet and he delivered that message. You know what a blessing it is that we have the prophecies all in one book that every day we can sit down and look at the word of God delivered unto us? Think about Isaiah. Did he prophesy constantly every single day? In the first year of this king, the word of the Lord came unto that prophet. In the third year of this king, the word of the Lord came unto this prophet and he prophesied. The word of the Lord came Maybe only once and twice and here and there. These are these ways that God spoke in these, uh, as it says in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at sundry times and divers manners, spake unto the prophets in time past, but in these last days has spoken unto us by his Son. And so he is that prophet. Look unto here. Unto him you shall hearken. And again, hearkening. There's two ways that you can look at that hearken. When you hearken back to something, you are remembering back. You're calling back a time, a a memory of, of something in the past. That's to hearken back. But to hearken unto somebody, that's to listen to them with obedience and submission. You're listening with obedience and submission. And again, thinking of that, apply that to Adam hearkening unto his wife and taking of that fruit. But men, how many times do we do that? And we blame our wives for our problems. Verse 16. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again... Now, when was this? This This is when God is delivering the law. And the people cry this. They say this. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. They said, don't let the Lord talk to us again. We're going to die. And God said, that's exactly right. And so what did he do? He gave a messenger. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words In his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now keeping that in mind, go back to John 17. Look at verse 6 again. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. They have kept thy word. Now they have known all that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Words. Not just word. okay. The very words themselves. It's interesting because you'll see there, there's a few places like where uh, where Paul is preaching and, and he's he's preaching right along, and they're all the Jews are all accepting of it until they get to that little thing about Jesus. and they say at this word, you know when they heard this word, they stopped their ears and all of this. Or it might have been even stephen if I, if I'm remembering that right there's another place where it says uh, and, and he quoted this word, and then he quoted an entire verse, okay, Jesus did. And so when you look at the word as a, in, in that form, It could be referring to a passage. It could be referring to just one word in particular. But in the plurality, those words, those are the very words, each individual word that God gave to Jesus Christ, he spoke them. So, if your Bible has some red letters in it, are those the only words that Jesus Christ ever spoke? No, they're not. I mean, obviously, that wasn't added in until quite later on. Paul didn't switch to a red, you know, John didn't switch to a red pen as he was writing. Just understand this. Every word that Jesus spoke was the words of God. Every single word that you find in this book are the words of God. If we are to be held accountable for whether we hearken unto those words or reject them, as we read in Deuteronomy 18, God will require it of us. And if we are required to hearken unto those words, what kind of a God would he be if he didn't give you those exact words? But yet it's unreasonable to think that this book is perfect. In scholarship today, that's the mindset. We have the general idea. We have we have close enough. We have you know a paraphrase. That's not it at all. God cares about His words, every jot and every tittle. I know I pronounced jot wrong. It's supposed to be yot, but that's okay. I'm not Jewish. I'm American. I say jot. All right. Let's keep going with this. So, verse eight, John seventeen. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And do you remember what it means to receive something? It's, it's more than just, you know, taking a gift. We studied that out, looking at that thing there in, uh, in John chapter 1. But to, uh, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. That receiving is to accept the validity of something. It's to to accept the truth of something. It's to to acknowledge that this thing is absolutely right and absolutely true. These words that are being spoken, they are truth. This person that has come to me, what they are saying is true. To accept as an authority. To admit the truth of. To believe. That's what it means to receive something. Do you receive my statement? Well... If there's truth behind it, you should. Do we receive the sayings of Jesus Christ? If you did, you'd be born of God. You believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God because he said he was. That's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did God promise with that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. The words of Jesus Christ, he said they are spirit and they are truth. Receive his words, you receive him. And you're born of God. But he said they have received them. His disciples received those words, not just as the words of a prophet, not just as the words of a man, but as they are in truth, the very words of God. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Could Jesus say that about you? Could he truthfully, in the sight of his father, recite verse 8 about you? I can say with absolute utmost confidence, he could about me. Because I've been born of God. I believe his words. I believe every single one of them. Because they're more than just words on ink on page to me. I hear the voice of God in these things. I see God himself standing before me, reading this book to me. Showing me these deep things, these these, these secret things. Remember, the the secret things belong to God. Daniel said that. But now let's go on to verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now I want to dive into this a little bit before we continue on. I pray for them. What you're seeing doctrinally out of this verse the doctrine of that first statement I'm going to show you here is that Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples. That's a very simple thing to glean from that. Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples. Now I want you to go to verse 20 just momentarily and look at this again because we had we did earlier. Last week there two weeks ago. He says neither pray I For these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. The doctrine we get out of that is that Jesus wasn't only praying for his disciples, but literally as it says, but he was praying these things for all those that would believe on him through their word. So we look at the words of those apostles, we look at the words of those disciples. We look at the words contained in this thing and we believe on Jesus Christ and then this whole chapter is yours. Second doctrine we see from verse 20 is he knows everyone that's going to believe on him. And don't let that bother you. You know I'm not a Calvinist. That is available to whosoever will and your free will can hinder the will of God. Now, I want you to, on, on that note, go to John chapter 1. There's something in, in particular I want to I look at. We're going to run this just a little bit. John chapter 1. We quoted this, this first bit, verse 11. "'He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God.' Even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood. And we understand that's that's just because your grandparents were Christians and your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian. That, that, that is very elementary, that's very basic, but there are some that are ensnared by that thought. That's one loop in the knot that has their brain and their mind stuck. They can't believe on Jesus because they think, oh, well, I, I, I think of this one man that I spoke to up when we were up in uh, uh, Maine visiting with the filers, tried to give him a Bible. He said, no, no, thank you. My wife's Catholic. And So because his wife is Catholic, he was okay, but you're not born of blood. You're not Israel. If you are Israel, it doesn't matter. It's not of blood. Second thing, nor of the will of the flesh. You, in your carnal mind, cannot will yourself into the family of God. Why? Because your carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject unto the law of God, neither indeed can be. Your carnal mind cannot be subject to the law of God. And your carnal mind directs your flesh, so you cannot be born of the flesh. Now, how, how would that be? How, how would being born of the flesh? Well, if you could do it in your flesh, then it would be of works. If I could just do enough good, if I could just not do the bad things, okay? if I could serve enough, if I could, if I could give enough, all right? that would be being born of God according to the will of your flesh. But look at this next one, nor of the will of man. You can't even will yourself into the family of God. It's not according to your will. Your will can hinder it, but you cannot want it badly enough. You don't get saved because you want to. You get saved because God wants to. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because the thing is, you want it so bad, and you ask and you receive not that you may consume it upon your lusts. I want that mansion. I want that home in heaven. I want God to fix my marriage I want God to give me that job. I want God to help me in my home. I want this. I want that. I, 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 I. And Jesus is left completely out of the thing. You just don't care. Why? Because you just don't want to go to hell. Why? Because you just want to be in heaven with him. God tells you it's not according to that will. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are born of God, and you are born of His own will. Your will can hinder that will, but you can't will yourself in. You say, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When the entire operation is on Him, and you obey Him, and you come to Him laboring, heavy laden, heavy laden by your sin, you come to him a sinner. As we talked about in the opening, you come to him a sinner. Not in your flesh trying to clean yourself up. Not in your flesh in the guile of your mind, wanting something else and coming to God claiming, oh, I want Jesus so that I can. I want Jesus so that I don't have to. Whatever it is. That's guile. And what did Jesus say about Nathanael? He came up to him and he said, Ah, there's a man in whose heart there is no guile. There's no guile in Nathanael when he came up to him. He says, "Whence knowest thou me? He says, Before, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What happened was Jesus read the heart of Nathanael at that moment. And you come to God? with any guile in your heart whatsoever, and he's going to say, not today. Not today. It'll be on my terms. You come to me like I told you to come. Or oh, you don't come at all. Is that too harsh? Today's easy believism says it is. What was the, what was the terminology I, we found the other day? For easy believism. Oh, good night. Um, oh, I, I hope I can think of it. I wrote it down. It's, it's on a little piece of paper. Somebody mentioned easy believism, but they didn't use that term. Oh, um, decisional Regeneration. I've made a decision for Christ, and so I'm regenerated. That's as bad as getting in that water back there and thinking that that regenerated you. You say what you did. What did God do? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. And you come to him with any guile at all. That mercy is still extended to you, but only for so long. You reject him long enough, he's going to reject you. You read Romans chapter 1, you look at that, that, that one that's been given over to a reprobate mind. Now whether somebody that has been given over to a reprobate mind can be born of God or not, I'm not going to weigh in on that at the moment. I'm still studying that out. But I'll tell you this much, I wouldn't want to be there. A reprobate mind is a, the type of thinking that God hates. And I would hate. I would, I would, it would be loathsome to me to be given over to the type of thinking that God hates. And so, in those things, how are we born of God? Well, that's just exactly it. We're born of God. Repent and believe the gospel. The death, the burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures. That's what it's always been. Believe the promises of God. What did God promise? You repent, you forgive. He promised that to, to uh, Adam. He promised that to Abraham. He promised that to Moses. He promised that to Israel. He promised that to the world. Repent and believe. And he would forgive. by the way, it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. And if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. It's all on God. How much do you trust him? Now, you could could throw up an argument and say, you know what? I, I don't know if I can trust a God that would be that dogmatic about who is able to be in his grace. I wouldn't trust a God that wasn't. If he would bend just a little bit, just so that this one could come in because of ignorance, where else is he going to bend on? No, that law is a a line. It's a hard, fast line. It's that plummet, as we have spoken of. And what that plummet does, that plumb line lays down and it shows you the truth. It's an absolute. And when you measure your life against that absolute, that's when you find yourself a sinner. You could be half a degree off-center. And that's enough. That's enough. Why? Because you're not on-center. Nobody's on-center. Well, who can come? Whosoever will. Honestly, and I've put it this way before, and I think this, this may be helpful. Understanding salvation is, is, is much like this. It's not so much in, a, in obtaining of something. It's not a grabbing hold of something. It's not, it's, not, it's not reaching out for something. It's not grabbing it and taking it to yourself. It's a letting go. It's a letting go of yourself. It's a letting go of your own will and yielding to the will of the Word of God. You think the Word of God has will? Well, the Bible tells us that we can blaspheme the Word of God. And so looking at this, do you believe what he said? Do you believe what he wrote? Do you believe it's according to his will? Then he can save you. All he's waiting for you to do is to yield unto him. Let's continue on here. Back in John 17. He says I pray for them. I pray for them. He is that spirit of intercession. Go to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 is is one of the it's it's kind of like the crown jewel in the center of the crown jewel of books of the Bible. Like Romans Romans is is right there at the top. And then that that crown jewel that 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 picturesque, perfect jewel in the center of that thing is Romans chapter 8. That's my opinion. I can't preach that dogmatically, and I won't, but that's just my opinion. But look at Romans 8 and verse 26. He says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I've already alluded to this. We've talked about this before, but this is not the Holy Spirit. This is not the Holy Ghost. This is not the third person of the Trinity. First, in John 17, 9, the beginning thing says, I pray for them. Verse 20 says, I pray not for these only, but those that are going to believe on the, the word of those who I was praying for. Prayer is intercession. Let's look at this now. Go down to, oh, let's see. Go down to verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus is our intercessor. He is that spirit of intercession. When it says the spirit itself, it's speaking of the personal spirit of Jesus Christ himself, who is interceding for you with groanings which cannot be uttered. How do you think he knows how to groan for you? As we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He's been there. That's how he knows. That's why it's so precious that we have Jesus Christ, our intercessor. He is groaning for you when you can't even groan. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to look at a couple of things. I want to look at a couple of things. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, very familiar chapter, and we praise the Lord that it's familiar. Now, if I were to ask you, who is Isaiah 53 speaking of? What would you tell us? It's Jesus. It's so clearly messianic. Let's look at this. Verse 12. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, that's that's usually where this stops, because he was numbered with the transgressors and we put him there on the cross and the preaching continues. But look what's next. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Again, we see Jesus Christ making intercession for you. A transgressor is somebody that turns against that which was commanded. You were given a commandment and you've turned away in disobedience. We are all transgressors. And he is making intercession for us. He is the one that takes your prayer to the Father because we don't even know how we're supposed to pray. Go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, look at verse 9. And this throws it up right in the face if you're just trying to convince yourself, no, I do know how to pray. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know how to pray. Why? Because your heart is actively deceiving you, and it's desperately wicked. Your heart can be purified by faith, but you can corrupt your heart just as quickly. And how do you know if your heart is lying to you or not? You weigh it against the word of God. That's why it is so important to be in this thing. Listen, it's not just a religious rite. It's not just a, a thing that we do. It's not just, oh, you got to be in this. Just to... No, this is the, the washing of water by the word. This is the purifying of your mind and your heart by the very word of God. And that's what it's doing to you this morning. It's washing away the filth. It's washing away all the corruption. It's getting down in there where you've had infection and corruption in the dark corners of your heart. And it's been killing you. And God has been trying to show you. And now he's down in there with it. And it's that sharp two-edged sword and it's piercing into that point. Showing you what's in there. He's trying to show you the inner parts of your heart. Why? Because he's the only one that knows it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Go to Mark chapter 7. We're starting verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. Now, the Pharisees were all about keeping, making sure that your hands are washed, making sure the pots are washed, making sure that the outside looks clean, making sure that everything is right in order, making sure that when they are in the public eye, every T is crossed, every I is dotted, every jot and every tittle is exactly as it's supposed to be, and they're going to make sure that those restrictions and those, those strictures are laid upon you, though they're not going to lift a single finger to help you in that. That's a Pharisee. You want to know if you're a Pharisee or not. You have an evil eye for somebody, and all you can pick out is the wrong, but you will not lift a finger to help them to correct it. God says it's not those things from without that are entering in that are defiling you. That's not the defiling God cares about. Does God want you to smoke? No. Does God want you to drink? No. Does God want you to have cursings and bitterness in your heart? No. But it's not those things that you put in your body that are defiling you. You're putting those things in your body because your heart is defiled. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let them hear. This is for everyone. Everyone. If you have ears to hear, you're listening to my voice. But if God has given you ears to hear, let him hear. God wants you to know that it's your own heart that's defiling you. It's not that one that abused you. It's not that one that left you. It's not that one that cursed you. It's your own heart that's defiling you. That bitterness and anger and wretchedness and wickedness in your own heart. That is what is defiling you and is dragging you to hell. God is the only one that can see that. I can't see that. I am a very bad judge of character. I'm very, very easily fooled, but you cannot fool God. You can even fool yourself. I did it for years. Verse 17, and when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are you also without understanding also or are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, which goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness. Again, lasciviousness is living in such a way that all you want to do is make somebody to lust after you. An evil eye. Now, what would an evil eye be? You don't see good in anybody. You don't see any good in any situation. You don't see any way possible there's anybody in this world that is even remotely as good as you. You look on a situation and all you see is the evil in that. You look on a person and what they said and all you hear is the evil out of it. That's an evil eye. That proceeds from your heart. An evil eye... Is a symptom of a wicked heart. Let's run that through. Out of the heart of men. Verse 21. Proceed evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Are the symptom. Of an evil heart. Adultery. Adulteries. Are a symptom. Of an evil heart. Fornications. Are a symptom of an evil heart. Murders are a symptom of an evil heart. Thefts are a symptom of an evil heart. Covetousness is a symptom of an evil heart. Wickedness is a symptom of an evil heart. Deceit is a symptom of an evil heart. Lasciviousness is a symptom of an evil heart. An evil eye is a symptom of an evil heart. Blasphemy is a symptom of an evil heart. Pride is a symptom of an evil heart. Foolishness Is a symptom of an evil heart. All of those things are on the outside. But they start from within. If you have those things. God is showing you it's in your heart. He's showing you what's in your heart. Do you realize the great grace and mercy that God is extending to you. If he's showing you that these things are in your life. Because he's showing you a part of your heart that you can't even see oh, there's no way I have that. There's no way I would blaspheme the name of the Lord. But then yet he shows you that you do. He's showing you your heart. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so therefore, we need that spirit of intercession. We need Jesus Christ to intercede on our behalf. We need Him to show us mercy. Because your evil heart is damning you. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. How good is Jesus? How good is He to intercede for us? With groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans eight twenty seven, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hebrews seven twenty five. If you don't want to turn, just listen. Hebrews seven twenty five. Wherefore he is able also to save them unto the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. To make it intercession for them, do you still think it's the Holy Ghost that's interceding for you? Look at nine twenty four, Hebrews nine twenty four. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now, now, present tense, right now, not two thousand years ago, but now, today. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Interceding. Our high priest interceding for us. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, verse 1. These things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin. That didn't say when. That said, if, and if you have a problem with that, study it out because it said, if any man sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous an advocate, one who pleads the cause of another before a court. That great accuser of the brethren accuses you before the Father. And Jesus says, no, no, not that one. That one's clean. That one's men made whole. That one is me. I'm in him and he is in me. I am his and he is mine. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous. And then finally, Romans 8.34. Now let's, let's look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now who are the elect? Those who are born of God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You didn't justify yourself. If you justified yourself, you're lost. You can't justify yourself. The blood of Jesus Christ justifies you, it's what the Word of God says. And the faith of Jesus Christ justifies you, it's what the Word of God says. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That's my Jesus praying for me. It's my Jesus praying for you. It's my Jesus making intercession. And His blood is sufficient. His grace Is sufficient. His faith is sufficient. His righteousness is sufficient. His holiness is sufficient. His goodness is sufficient. For what? You enter in the blank. Because it's all sufficient. It takes care of it all. But it's all on Him. It's all on Him. It's only according to His mercy that He saved us. And he extends that mercy one more time. One more time. Don't tell me, Pastor, I'll see you next week, because you might not. He extends that mercy to you one more time. And he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the will of God to give you rest in your soul, it's the will of God to give you peace and assurance. And quietness forever. That's his will. If you'd come unto him. You come. All that come unto me I will in no wise cast out. All that the father giveth me I will in no wise cast out. How many more times does he need to say what he's already said to you? It's in him. And he is our propitiation. It's the place where you take your most vile wretchedness. And you say God. This is me. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's for the sinner and the saint alike. So Back in John chapter 9, we'll close this out. John chapter 17, verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray for them. If you don't remember anything else from this time, remember, I pray for them. Them who? Those that the Father gave Him. How do you know if you've been given to Jesus by the Father? Well, you're sitting here this morning, listening to the preaching of the Word of God one more time. How much more clearer can He make it for you? He wants you to come. He wants you to believe him. So you can learn to trust him. Because he's a God that can be trusted. He is a father that will never fail you. Amen. Amen. I pray for them. Father, thank you for this morning and the words you've given us. My Lord and my God, I pray that you'd use these things effectually, but only to your glory. I pray that there would be sinners here this morning that would be converted unto Jesus Christ by the will of your own hand. Father, I thank you for the saving faith of Jesus Christ that you give to whosoever will believe. God, I thank you for the Word of God that directs us in the way of righteousness. Lord God, I thank you for the Word of God that draws us unto you. My God, I thank you that we can't receive anything, but that it's given to us from you from heaven. And now, Lord, I pray that you would guide this time ahead. Lord, let those things which you've stirred up in our hearts not settle down. But, Lord, we deal with those before you this morning, whatever it may be. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray it. Amen. Amen.